What's going on, coaches? Coming off of a very successful RTP 20 Summit. want to again thank everyone that came and watched. Uh, and then, obviously, the 10 coaches that presented. They did an unbelievable job. If you guys got to see it, um, it was great. If you missed it or you want to watch any of those presentations again, you guys can go over to our website, runthepower.com. Uh, go over to RTP uh, 20 Summit or the 20 Summit, and you can get the all-access pass. All-access pass is going to jump up to $90 on Monday um and so in march so so it's probably 90 at this point but uh, if you're an rtp premium member you'll get it for 50 dollars. so uh, with it being uh jumped up so we can pay some of these coaches um the easiest for you guys or the cheapest uh if it were me is go be a part of rtp premium for 12 bucks uh then go get the all access pass uh, and then if you don't like premium, cancel it the next day or or wait a month and cancel it, uh, however you want to do that. Or uh, if it were me, keep it uh, for a year. But um, that would be the cheapest option for you. Uh, but, again, that's, that way we can pay all these coaches that, that gave up their time uh, and, and made these presentations for all of us. If you're following us on Twitter, uh, you saw that we released the RTP Dojo here in Oklahoma. Uh, we're excited. We've got tons and tons and tons of people that have contacted about us contacted us about that continue continue reaching out uh, we're available for uh, consulting or for coaches to come in and and just chop it up and and talk some football on the weekend so uh, we've got uh, both types of, of coaches signed up and and we're looking for even more uh, because we love talking ball we love learning we love uh, helping guys out so uh, hit us up on that find everything else we're doing over at runthepower.com this episode of the podcast is brought to you by guardian caps do you have linemen? Are their helmets getting scuffed up during inside run period? If so, there's a way to protect those shells and reduce the repetitive blows your guys are taking during the week. Guardian Caps reduces 20 to 33% of the impact, really focusing on those big guys in the trenches, like we coach. Worn by Clemson, Texas, Oklahoma, Washington, Virginia, 150 other colleges, and over 1,500 high schools across the country, including mine at Broken Arrow and Coach Walls in Ankeny. They are currently running an early bird promo. It's an unbelievable uh, price for them right now. 40 caps for $2,000 uh, with 10 of them for free, plus 10 free. They get 10 free ones as well. Check them out in our, free show, uh, in our show notes or go to guardiansports.com slash football. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us. If you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all, we obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull, uh, and formations, so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just Play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait. Go do it today. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Nate Klaus. Nate has worked in the recruiting department at the University of Nebraska for three different head coaches and was the recruiting coordinator at Iowa Western CC and Council Bluffs, Iowa. Currently, Nate works for Husker Online, their rival site, as a recruiting evaluator and reporter. Listen as we talk with Coach Klaus uh, as he educates us all on the recruit evaluation. 
ranking, and recruiting process. He also covers the entire recruiting calendar and timeline. Finally, Nate provides insight on recruiting philosophy, recruiting areas, and recruiting departments. This is valuable information to all coaches, parents, athletes, and fans. You can follow Nate on Twitter at Nate Klaus. Hope you guys enjoy. My name's Nate Klaus. Um, grew up in western Nebraska, out in Ogallala, and uh, always knew I wanted to go to the University of Nebraska. Um, and I initially went as a, as a finance major, but there was uh, my freshman year, there was an opening, uh, you know, that I saw in the school newspaper. They were looking for a couple guys to help out on game days to basically greet recruits as they came to the stadium for their, for their visits. And I thought that'd be pretty cool, you know, get get free tickets, maybe some free gear, and and you know, get a, a little bit of an inside look to the program or whatever. So uh, and that was 2002. I was I was uh, one of two guys that got hired. I think there was like 60 or 70 people that applied. So I was lucky enough to to kind of get that job. And um, I went up there to to kind of sign some paperwork, and they told me, okay, well, you need to come back next fall and about a week before the season starts, we'll kind of give you a run through. And, and, um, and I said, well, is there anything I can do to start helping out now? And the, the lady that was, that was kind of having me do the paperwork said, well, uh, no, we'll just be in touch with you. And, and out, out rolls this guy from a cubicle. And uh, he goes, he goes, if he goes, I could definitely use some help. And that was Lance, <laughs> that was Lance Leipold, who's now the head coach at, at the university of Buffalo. And, uh, and so that's, that's kind of how I got my start uh, with football. I just uh, you know, I started helping him log film because back then it was all DVDs. Or I'm mm -hmm. sorry, it was all VHSs. So the, he had a storage closet up in the stadium that wow. was full of the ceiling with, with these postal service like crates. And it was all packages that people sent, coaches sent in their VHS tapes. And, uh, and so I, he, he kind of showed me how to log those in and everything. And, and that's kind of how I got my start. Um, and I just continually asked, okay, what can I do? You know, what else can I do to help? And, uh, and I, my, eventually my duties kind of began to grow a little bit. Tim Albin, who's offensive coordinator at Ohio now, he was the, the GA and, and then running backs coach in Nebraska. He initially started to have me, uh, you know, just cut up every, every carry that one of his running backs had. You know, because the coach would send in a three-hour VHS tape. And, and uh, he did obviously didn't have time to, to watch all that. So he had me just every time his running back that he was looking at touched the football, I would just cut that up. And eventually he started teaching me, you know, what he was looking for out of players. And, and other coaches started hearing that I was making cut-ups for, for Albin. And, uh, and so they started asking me to do cut-ups for them. And um, I, I was worked at Nebraska from 02 to 09 in the recruiting office there. And, and uh, it was it was an interesting time. Kind of went through three different coaching staffs. Uh, with uh, started out with Solich and then uh, finished with Pelini. Uh, and then in '09, I went to Iowa Western as the director of recruiting. Uh, that was the first year of their program, uh, and I was there for a couple of years uh, trying to get that thing going with Coach Strohmeyer. And uh, and obviously he's done one heck of a job there. Uh, one of the best junior college programs in the country. Uh, but I was going from Lincoln to Council Bluffs uh, pretty much every single day. And, 
and not making a whole lot. And, and so I was starting to kind of question, you know, what do I want to do? And then I got presented with the opportunity to, instead of recruiting players to a school, to cover recruiting uh, as a part of Rivals.com as a recruiting analyst uh, with, a, with a HuskerOnline.com. Uh, Sean Callahan is a publisher, and, and I'd known Sean for a long time. And uh, he figured since I had a background in recruiting, uh, you know, working at Nebraska and Iowa Western, that I would kind of have a unique perspective on it. And so now I've, I've basically been doing that, this, my current role, uh, for nine years now, right around there. So, so that's kind of a, the, kind of the quick abbreviated version of, of kind of how I got into it. And, um, you know, that, that finance major, <laughs> I, I, I thought I was going to be a stockbroker and here I am as a recruiting analyst. <laughs> Well, Coach, man, the first question I, you know, I kind of had written down, and, and you, you just touched on it. You know, when you talk about evaluation, it sounds like with Coach Albin, you know, you kind of you were able to cut your teeth a little bit about, you know, what you're looking for when you're, you know, watching a film. What's going to make you, you know, keep watching the film? Is is kind of one of my deals. You know, I, I got to do some of the same things when I was at Tulsa. But what is something that makes you, you know, keep watching the film versus? you know what, I'm going to turn this off when you, when you get, you know, literally hundreds, if not thousands of different highlight films, how do you differentiate between a, a lot of these different kids, especially then when you start to throw in all the different positions you're trying to fill on a football team? Yeah. You know, that's, that's one of the, the key parts of recruiting, I think is, is when players, especially now with, with, you know, huddle and everything, it's so easy to rearrange clips and, and, uh, you know, have that wow factor right out of the gate with a highlight tape. And that's really what you need uh, because coaches, they, they, want, they want to see something that's going to grab their attention initially. And so, you know, a lot of times I'll see some really good players, but you can tell when you watch their highlight film that it's just like it's all the decent clips from game one and then all the decent clips from game two. And, uh, you know, sometimes you've got to get two or three minutes into a tape before you see something that, that makes you go, oh wow, okay. Um, now, now this kid has my attention. But you know, with the way coaches are now, really, with the way society is now, I mean, you you want to see something right away. You want that instant satisfaction. So, um, you know, the biggest piece of advice that I give players and, and coaches, high school coaches, when you're making a highlight film, uh, regardless of what position you play, you want to put your very, very best plays right at right out the gate uh, because you never know. A coach may be crunched for time and may decide to take, you know, look at one more film before he heads home or something like that. And, uh, you know, if you don't show something that's going to grab somebody's attention right away, uh, they may move on to the next guy. And so you absolutely want to put your very best clips right out of the gate on your huddle highlight film. Um, you know, and obviously, depending on what position you play, that, that could mean a lot of different things. But it's it's very important, I think, to to have that wow factor or, or to try and show your very best clips or your best, uh, you know, your your athleticism and, and your your kind of your ability as a playmaker right away. I think the other thing you probably have to to maybe you know also factor into it as well is is you guys have so many you know, contacts across the country, you know, there's going to be high school coaches that, that, you know, coach Frost might, you know, really, 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 he's honed into kind of that kid guy's opinion. Like, Hey, this, if this guy's giving us players, we're going to do that. You know, or if it's coach Ferentz at Iowa, you know, how big does that kind of go into it as well? You know, do those guys kind of move to the, to the top of the list when you're getting that recommendation from the 
a high school coach, I'd, I'd have to assume that when guys are getting, you know, people they trust and instantly they're giving you kind of that information of, hey, this dude can play, those guys kind of kind of get a role instantly to the top of the list in that evaluation. Is that true then or not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you never want to, you never want to lie about a kid's ability to somebody because that, you know, that kind of hurts your credibility. Um, and if you kind of have a good track record of shooting, you know, college coaches or recruiters straight and letting them know the deal, you know, whether it's, Hey, you know what, this, he's a heck of a high school football player, but I don't know if he's exactly what you're looking for at Nebraska or Iowa, um, you know, or, or, Hey coach, you know, he's a heck of a, a heck of a ball player, but, um, he's got a lot of work to do in the in the classroom, and and I'd hate for you to you know waste your time unless you know that up front. Uh, you know, I think coaches appreciate that, and and if they know that you're a straight shooter and that you're going to tell them the truth right out the gate and not kind of blow smoke, um, they're going to trust you, and and they're going to continually go back to you too and say, hey, um, what can you tell me about so and so? And whether it's on your team or not, you know, that's one that's one huge thing that. Um, that I utilized when I worked in Nebraska, and I know a lot of coaches do, is that, you know, especially coaches that recruit a specific area, um, the coaches that they trust, they will call them not only about their players, but they'll call to get some feedback about players that they've, they've coached against or that they've been able to see in person and, and kind of get the scoop. Because, you know, what, what the one coach uh, at the Crosstown Rival may, may be telling uh, the, the Husker coaches you know, maybe a little different than what, uh, you know, what you may, may have seen or may want to tell them. So uh, they're going to get their opinions about players from different sources. And, and I think that it's always – it's very important uh, to, to be upfront and, un, and honest with them and kind of, kind of build that credibility because they will continually go back to that well if you do so. Yeah, I know that's definitely true. There's, there's been a lot of coaches and, you know, the guys that I think that are, that are super respected kind of in that evaluation game. You know, and I'm, I'm asking a lot of questions about evaluation because I think that's kind of, you know, what, what gets the ball rolling with recruiting. You know, it, we used to say, you know, it's not a, a process of inclusion. It's a process of elimination. So, mm-hmm. you know, guys are, are doing their homework to try to, you know, cross guys off the list and then really, really hone in on, you know, those, those prospects. But I always thought those guys that would take time and like, hey, we're recruiting a guy from one of your rivals. What do you think of him? Did you have to game plan around him? Was, it, was he a difference maker special? I always thought that those guys – we're always one or two steps ahead of the competition. So once they've kind of gathered all this information and they have the evaluation, what's kind of that next step, Nate? I mean, is there like a ranking deal? You know, you always hear the question about the, the board, you know, the, what, what is the recruiting board? You know, how do you rank and move guys? You know, can you kind of walk through that process as, you know, are there are a bunch of meetings who's all involved with kind of building that quote recruiting board. Yeah. You know, that's, and that's kind of a case by case, uh, situation, you know, I think every coaching staff handles it a little differently, but the nuts and bolts of it is, you know, especially when you're coming out of like a spring evaluation period or like right now we're in the middle of a contact period and, and, you know, 90% of everyone's recruiting classes are wrapped up. So they're working on the class, you know, next year's class. And so um, here, you know, in a couple of weeks, they'll get together after everyone's back from being on the road and, They'll kind of unpack everything that they saw and, and all the players they evaluated. Um, and then you have staff meetings and, and um, you go, you know, at least when I worked in Nebraska, I think the, the most efficient way was under Bill Callahan's staff. I mean, we would meet as a staff, offense, defense, uh, you know, 
player personnel guys, recruiting office, so on and so forth. And, um, and we would watch film as a staff and then we would kind of rank them. And as we were watching the film, then whoever the coach was that was recruiting them uh, would kind of give everybody the lowdown. Like, Hey, you know, he's a, he's a three, two core GPA. He's got, he's got a 22 ACT and um, you know, a high character kid, so on and so forth. And um, you know, and, you know, he's got great growth potential and, and, all that information then would go into uh, the, the, the end evaluation and, and where that player ends up on the board. And, and at that time, we had kind of an A, B, and C list. And so your A list guys are, are basically guys that you have offered or that you're going to offer uh, and that you would basically take a, you know, ex- accept a commitment from. The B list guys are probably players that you need more information on or that you want to, to evaluate at a later date. And then your C-list guys are, are kind of your developmental players that you're keeping an eye on that, that could turn into, you know, a walk-on or, or that could be a sneaky, you know, late bloomer uh, player that, that, that kind of turns into maybe a late offer down the road or something like that. So that's kind of how we build our board. Uh, and then obviously, you know, there was movement. Every, every time we would meet as a staff, that we would move players up, we'd move players down, players would come off the board, uh, you know, as they made their commitments and so on. So uh, that's kind of how we approached it. But um, the biggest thing was is that we would watch it as a staff and then we would just unpack all that information on, on each player, you know. And it's not just athletic ability and, and academics either. It's, it's character. It's, it's, you know, is this guy going to fit into our program? Um, is he going to mesh with our locker room? Is he going to be somebody that we have to hold their hand every single day to, to get him to go to class and get him to do, you know, go get into the, the training room? Or, or is this going to be somebody that we're not going to have to worry about? So, I mean, it's all that type of information that kind of goes into that evaluation and, and how, you know, where someone ends up on that recruiting board. Is that something that in, in an off season or, or when you go into this recruiting class that, that, coaches look at and, and give like a hard number for how many they're going to take of, of each position. Like, Hey, this, this year we're going to have five, we want to offer five linemen and three linebackers and, and, you know, a, a certain number of, of each position. And then if that is the case, is, is that a pretty hard line that they stick to, or is that something that can change depending on um, uh, the kids that they get? Yeah. And, you know, that's the other thing that would always take place in our, and our staff meetings, our recruiting meetings is, is our numbers. And, and for the most part, you know, you kind of had a baseline number, you know, you might have, you might have a couple swing positions where, you know, uh, you know, offensive line, well, we'd ideally would like to take five this year, but we could get away with taking four and, and which may give us an extra, uh, you know, extra number at, at wide receiver or whatever, you know, just, that's just an example. But, um, so there's a there's a couple positions that may fluctuate here or there, but for the most part, you had a pretty good idea of of what your needs were, what your scholarship distribution chart was was telling you, um, what you know what positions you needed to bring players in at, um, you know, and obviously too the other thing that changes is you know the the attrition, you know, or guys going to be getting a medical uh, redshirt or or players going to be leaving the program or. Or, or is somebody going to be wanting to transfer into your program that could impact your numbers? So, uh, but that's something that's, that's like a week by week basis most of the time where that's, you know, 
there's a little bit of variation there, but uh, for the most part, you've got a pretty solid idea of how many that you're bringing in total and then how many uh, you're going to want at each position. Nate, is that something you know that that's changed a little bit now kind of with the the over-signing? You know, the, the, the conferences all have different rules now of how many, you know, guys they can hold above, you know, 85 scholarships until they have to get to it. I think it's fall camp. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And then the guys are kind of managing the roster that goes. So technically we could have, quote, you know, 90 guys on scholarship in the spring or with our signing class. But then, you know, you, you could move back down to that level once you get into to August. Is that kind of a new thing or do you think that's something, you know, that, that it was maybe done in the past, but now it's kind of more, you know, come to light? Yeah, you know, I, I think that it's um, – I wouldn't necessarily call it a new thing, but I would say that it's it's something that – Many more programs, they manage that um, much more efficiently or take advantage of, of maximizing their roster more than, than maybe they used to. Um, you know, and, and it is something that, you know, if you've got an extra scholarship, you know, you can put, on, you can put a walk-on on scholarship for a semester and let them know that, hey, look, you know, we, we're going to be able to throw you a bone this semester, but, you know, at the end of the spring, uh, you're going to have to go back to being a walk-on when, when some of our – you know, some of our signing class arrives or whatever the case may be. But, uh, but you're right. By the time fall camp starts, you have to be at 85. Um, you know, you can oversign by three, uh, at least in the Big Ten you can. And so that's, uh, that's always something that, that you're, you know, the coaching staff, they're always managing that and, and kind of calculating that. And, and you've got a good idea most of the time, like, okay, well, you know, there's probably a pretty good chance that we're going to lose two or three guys to the transfer portal this year. You know, the, the kind of the, maybe the writings on the wall for a couple guys or, or maybe, you know, they've had conversations with the coaching staff that, you know, my heart's just not in it or, or I'm going to be looking for a different opportunity or whatever. And so, um, you know, you can kind of – you can maximize things in that regard. And, uh, but a lot of times, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all something that, that the – you know, a lot of – player personnel people, um, you know, the, the director of football operations, director of recruiting operations, as well as the head coach and everybody else, they're, they're all pretty, you know, they're all talking about that on a weekly basis is their overall number as well. I think that's something that a lot of kids need to, you know, kind of understand is, you know, that, that's, that quote scholarship, you know, it, it's something that, that doesn't necessarily, you know, last for the, the full four to five years. I mean, if, you know, things are working out and, you know, and you're working hard and, and you're, you're finding a role or your special teams or whatever it might be. Yeah, generally, you're stay, staying in good graces with, with academics. You're going to be okay. But all of a sudden now, you know, maybe you're not working that hard. You know, you're, you're, you're falling short of some of the things. There is an expectation for you to, you know, contribute in, in one way or another. And, and when that doesn't happen, you know, I think there's a lot of kids that don't understand that that is something that can go away. Yeah, it is something that can go away, and you know, and, and you know, sometimes sometimes guys figure it out and say, okay, well, look, you know, uh, you know, I'm never going to be, I'm probably never going to be that that starter, uh, but you know, I can I can help the team by being a heck of a practice player. Um, I can help the team by by carrying a good GPA and doing all the right things off the field. You know, if if you've got a if you're helping out the team GPA and and you, you do all the right things, you do everything that you're being asked to do, um, you know, chances are you're going to be pretty safe and you're going to have that scholarship for four or five years. Uh, but if you're, you know, if you're not holding up your end of the bargain on the field and you're not holding up your end of the bargain off the field, 
then chances are you're going to be asked to look for another place to, to go to school. And that's kind of, you know, one of the things that has really changed the game. I mean, to me, the, the two biggest changes in, in recruiting, and, you know, you can agree or disagree, <laughs> but I think, you know, the, the transfer portal, portal being one, and we've touched on that, and I think the second one now is the, the, the December signing day. You know, how have those two things kind of, you know, really, really changed a, a lot of the recruiting landscape, especially lately? Yeah, I mean, it has totally changed it. And I think the, the early signing day, the December signing day, has really sped the whole process up, uh, especially once, you know, a couple of years ago, once they started to allow juniors to take some official visits starting April 1st, you know, through the end of June. Um, you know, that really accelerated the process too. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's one of those deals where players, you, you have to be kind of smart how, how you're approaching your recruiting process because um you know you you can't overplay your hand if if uh, spots are filling up and you haven't made your decision yet and you're wanting to wait uh you better be really really good uh so that places your schools are going to hold a spot for you no matter what or you better be willing to roll the dice and and you know see what happens because if you wait after that early signing period um you know it's hard telling what's going to be available for you because as we've seen you know, there's, I'd say, 85 to 90 percent of Division One football players are, are signing in that December period now. And so, um, you know, and it works out for some guys, you know, that that aren't those high four and five star players that, you know, they, they may have, you know, a hand a handful of maybe group of five offers. And all of a sudden the dust settles after December and and uh, here come the power fives, you know, calling because they need an offensive tackle that they didn't end up getting or, or, or whatever. Uh, but I'd say for the most part, you know, players need to, to accelerate their process a little bit and, and have a pretty good idea of, okay, this is, when, this is when I need to really start narrowing things down and making a decision so that I can sign and, and have my spot, find my home uh, in December. And then as far as the transfer portal, you know, I, that, that has really changed things too because now you're, ha you're having schools that are saving a scholarship or two instead of signing a full class in December or in February or whatever, they're saving a couple spots, a couple scholarships in their back pocket to see, you know, what might be out there after spring football is over with, you know, after players hit the, the transfer portal or, or see what type of grad transfers are out there or whatever. So um, that's really changed the game. I, I think that uh, it's been a, probably a welcomed addition uh, or, or change for coaches because now, especially right now, instead of making sure that you've got your whole recruiting class in the boat and no one's trying to poach your guys for a month and a half or whatever after the season or two months after the season, uh, you know, you've got 90% of your recruiting class done, signed, sealed, delivered, and you don't have to worry about losing anybody. And uh, you only have to worry about filling those remaining spots. And, uh, you know, I, I think I'm still kind of, I think the jury's still kind of out on the transfer portal. I think we've seen some schools where it's really been beneficial. And then, you know, maybe some other schools have not found it uh, beneficial at all. So, um, you know, it's kind of a case by case deal there, but uh, there's no doubt that the early signing period and the transfer portal have really changed things a lot. You know, and I think that kind of the other thing is, is when schools decide, you know, if or how many junior college kids uh, they're going to, to take as well. Uh, can you maybe talk us through the thought process for, um, you know, 
how many junior college kids you bring in or, or maybe even – uh, what positions are we looking at to bring in junior college kids where uh, maybe other positions were not this year? Uh, and then I'm sure that changes on a year-by-year basis. Only thing I know about junior colleges was kind of a threat that, that we got from our college uh, coach that said, hey, if, if they're bringing in a bunch of junior college kids at your position, that means uh, they don't think you guys are ready to play. So yeah. I, whether that's true or not, you know, who knows. But that's the only thing I've ever heard of junior college uh, transfers in uh, and the one thing that I that I kind of realized being uh, in college and, and having junior college kids come in every year at different positions is uh, there was a lot of misses on junior college kids um, so at least for us uh, so what are maybe some thoughts on on year-to-year basis per position uh, how many junior college kids a, a staff will bring in yeah you know it's every staff is a little bit different or approach it a little differently and and I think some some programs, you know, you can you can get away with taking more junior college players on a yearly basis than others. Um, it all kind of depends on what type of program you're running, or or uh, you know what type of talent you have available to you, uh, you know, or what kind of pressure you're under to to win right away too. So, um, you know, it's it's all different for everybody. You know, I, I've always kind of from the coaches I've been around and the staffs that I've worked on and and coaches I've talked with, uh, you know, I, I think that five junior college players a year is usually kind of, uh, I think five or less is kind of, you know, kind of where most programs want to be. Uh, you know, some programs don't recruit JUCOs at all, uh, and they don't need to because they've got, you know, they've got 500 Division One kids within, you know, uh, 500 miles of their of their campus, so that's it's no problem for them. But, um, you know, I, I think you're right when you said that the coaches say, Hey, if we're bringing in a junior college player, um, you know, coaches don't, don't recruit JUCOs to come in and sit the, you know, sit the bench uh, typically. Uh, now a lot of, a lot of times, you know, there may be a giant hole in your roster at a certain position where hey, you, you need depth and you need depth that, that can come in and play right away if need be. But by and large, when you're recruiting JUCO, you're recruiting a guy to step in right away and, and provide you with uh, you know, as an instant impact type of guy, or at least somebody that you're going to be able to, to rotate on a, on a fairly consistent basis and get a lot of plays out of right away. Um, you know, and, and every year that changes, it may be a couple of defensive linemen one year, maybe a defensive back and a wide receiver the next year or whatever. But um, you know, I, I think that a lot, the other thing that kind of changes the overall number of JUCOs that you're bringing in is, is uh, you know, their eligibility. You know, some JUCOs are two for two guys that, you know, they don't have a red shirt. They, they don't, they only have two years of eligibility left. So they've got to, those are the guys that you can't miss on. They, they have to be able to come in and make an impact right away. Uh, now there's some JUCO guys that are three for three, or there's some guys that are four for three, you know, it's, it's all different or, or, you know, most guys are, are, uh, uh, you know, have, have three years of eligibility to play two seasons and, and, uh, you know, so if you have that red shirt in your back pocket, then it's a little bit of an insurance policy. But, uh, you know, it's, it's all different for every coach out there. But, uh, you know, and you're right. I mean, recruiting junior colleges, I mean, there's, there's very few players. Well, I mean, there's very few players out there, regardless of your high school, prep school, JUCO, that are, you know, can't miss dudes. Uh, <laughs> you know, recruiting is an inexact science. But especially when you start talking JUCO, you know, is uh, why is that kid in junior college to begin with? Is it because they got in trouble somewhere? 
Uh, is it because their academics lacked? You know, are they not very bright or are they lazy you know, that they, they, you know, let their schoolwork slack? Um, or were they just completely overlooked? You know, a lot of there are still some guys that fall through the cracks or that were late bloomers. Um, you know, so I think when you're a college coach, you have to factor that into, you know, how you approach junior college recruiting is, okay, is, is this guy going to be a character concern if we bring him in? Um, or, or is this guy just fine? Um, he's just overlooked in, in high school. And I think that has a lot of that stuff goes into whether or not, you know, that, that player is going to be a hit or a miss uh, once it gets to a four-year school. Yeah, I think it's it's so important too when you talk junior college. It, it seems like a lot of guys, you know, when you when you kind of follow it a little bit, they they seem to have you know one, two, three different locations, and usually it's going to be a coach that they trust on that staff that can really really shoot them straight. So it kind of comes back to that evaluation piece of, hey, here's here's the deal with this guy. Here's why he landed here, and and here's where we kind of see it, it happening. When you have you know three or four guys, and, and you know there's a handful of guys out there who recruit the heck out of JUCOs, but you know when you when you understand those staffs and you know you know who to trust and who's going to shoot you straight, that that really can lead to some some huge huge hits, especially in those junior college ranks. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's there's some guys that um, are great football players, but um, you know they may be like just for an example, you know the they may have come from, you know, LA or Miami. And you know what, this is a kid that's a hell of a player, but he needs a little bit more structure. He needs, he needs to limit the distractions. And so, uh, so he may not have, uh, he may not work out at a, at a big school like that, you know, in a, around a, in a big city or, or whatever. He, he may need to go to somewhere that has some structure or that, that maybe doesn't have quite as many distractions uh, as some other places. And so, uh, you know, and that's the other thing. I mean, you just like I said earlier, you know, it, it goes far beyond just watching the film on some guy. Uh, you got to find out, you know, uh, you got to really dig deep and, and find out what makes them tick and, and what they need in their life. Uh, because you know, some guys, they, they need that structure uh, and, and they need somebody who's who's going to stay on them. And, and uh, you know, they, they need to be away from distractions or, you know, maybe it's maybe they need to get away from from their friends and family and, and go, go get out on their own and, and uh, kind of grow up as, as a man too. So, I mean, every, every situation's different. And I think that's what makes, you know, what separates good recruiters from great recruiters is they find out all that stuff about guys and, and factor that into their, their evaluation. And, um, and when you find a kid that, that kind of fits your, your school and your culture, um, not only athletically, but also off the field. I think that's when, when you set yourself up for success. Yeah, I think too, I mean, and, and you, you, you finish that evaluation then, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden now you, you figure out, man, he checks all the boxes. I love talking to the kid. I love his family. I love all these things. Is that one of those things then where you, you almost kind of, you know, if you're recruiting him, do you, do you double down on that and say, hey, th this guy's my number one guy. This is the guy I want to recruit. Is that is that something that you you believe in doing, or are you kind of one of those ones like, hey, take your top five and you kind of recruit, you know, each one of those guys, you know, hard. But again, you know, you don't really kind of go all in on one guy, or are you the the other the other way where you go all in? Um, you know, it, it depends. Um, I I mean, I think that you always you always have to have a, con a contingency plan, uh, a plan B, plan C, just in case. Uh, but 
you know, I, I kind of feel like if, if all the stars are lining up and, and that kid is a perfect fit and you feel like, you feel like you've got, you know, you're, you're sitting really well with him. You've got a great relationship with him and his coach and, and his family members or whoever, you know, there's, there's always another decision maker. Right. So mm -hmm. uh, every prospect, you know, they're obviously going to have a say in things, but uh, nine times out of 10, there's, there's at least one or two other people that are close to him that are going to be heavily involved in the decision-making process. And so, um, you know, if, if I feel like I got a great relationship with the recruit, uh, I, I've got a great relationship with the decision makers, um, you know, then usually don't have a, a you know, that big of a problem doubling down and, and going all in as, but as I say that you also, you have to give yourself an out of every situation. You can't paint yourself into a corner completely because that's when you get in trouble. Um, but as long as you've got something working in the background, um, I, I still think it's okay to, to kind of double down and, and really, you know, turn most of your attention towards that, that one guy that seems to, to be the perfect fit for you. Nate, how do you figure out kind of, you know, how do you, and again, you, you've worked for three different regimes uh, and, and had to do it yourself at, at Iowa Western. How did you kind of like figure out who recruits who? I mean, did, did you go by region? Did you go by position? Did you go by these are my ace recruiters and you guys are going to recruit almost everybody? Uh, is, it, is it something that's kind of fluid? You know, what do you think the best model is for kind of deploying, you know, your staff and your recruiting personnel in order to, you know, to obviously get the most bang for your buck? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, and it's different. Everyone's got a different philosophy. But from my experience, what worked the best for for me, whether it was at Nebraska or, or at Iowa Western was, was, uh, you know, recruiting an area having because every coach, you know, they've they've got a place that they've got connections to whether it's where they grew up or, or maybe it was, you know, they coached, they coached in that certain area. Uh, before they got to your school or, or whatever. I mean, er everybody has at least some connections, right, to, to, uh, to a certain area. And so I think what you want to do ideally is you want to put your coaches in the right areas uh, where they have some connections. And I've always been of the belief that um, you, you assign a territory to a, to a coach and you let them just mine that territory, uh, build relationships with all the schools, all the coaches in that certain territory, um, that way, whether they have a, a player for this cycle or not, because eventually they're going to have a guy down the road. And if you're one of those Johnny come lately's where the only time you stop by a school is when they have a guy for that year, um, you know, it's going to, you, you kind of put yourself behind the eight ball. Whereas if you have a good relationship and that coach knows that every spring you're going to be in the, through his school, whether he's got a guy this year or not, um, you know, when they do have a player, uh, those those players, first of all, they're going to recognize you, or they're going to they're going to uh, have heard about you, um, and also those coaches are going to trust you, and 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 I think you're going to have a good relationship with them, and and then from there, you know, that kind of gets your foot in the door, you know, it kind of kickstarts the recruiting process, um, and, and so once those area recruiters, once you kind of start to have your your base of recruits that you're after in your area, I think that's when you start tag teaming with the uh, with the position coaches, okay? Or you start putting your ace recruiters, you start to slowly, uh, you know, kind of introduce them to to your your top targets and start letting them build relationships as well. And and so I, I think that's, for me at least, that's, from my experience, that's kind of been 
the recipe that seemed to, to work the most or, or to be most efficient. So when, when a coach is, is thought of as a good recruiter or is talked about as a good recruiter, uh, I kind of got a couple questions with that. Um, what, what maybe makes a, a, a recruiter be called a good recruiter? Is that, is that something that he's able to land the big recruits? Or is that more thought of as a guy that can find the kids that, that are able to put on your board? I think it's both. Um, you know, an elite recruiter, a great recruiter is somebody that, that, first of all, has a good personality that can relate to people, talk to people, uh, and whether that's a coach, whether that's the player, whether that's the, you know, the, the security guard at the school that he goes to every spring or whatever. You know, it, I think it's somebody that has a good personality that's very relatable um you know and then it's also somebody that has a passion for recruiting and, and kind of doing the dirty work doing that leg work finding finding everybody in their um in their region or in their area that that, that there is uh you know it's it's those guys that that uh have the answers for everything yeah you know, every situation you know this it can be you walk into a school and you you uh coach says hey you know what um uh, you know i got this guy and he'd be great for you but He's fringe academically, and and I need I need help putting a plan together to get this kid qualified. And so, great recruiters have the answers. They say, "Okay, coach, let me look at the transcripts. Um, okay, you know he's he's short in this core here and here. Uh, so what you want to do is you, you want to get him into a summer class, or you know they've got the answers. And and when you are when you always have the answers and and you're available like that, um, and and you also have a great personality. Um, you know, I, I think that's what separates, and you can evaluate talent. Um, I, I think that's what separates good recruiters uh, from from the great ones, uh, or great ones from the good ones. I, um, you know, that's that's I've worked with coaches that um, they have the answer for everything, and they're great. They, you know, they relate to people extremely well. Um, and then when the time comes, they can close. And whether that's closing the recruit, or whether that's closing the coach, or grandma, or, or mom, or whatever um they they have the ability to do that but a lot of times it's everything that you've done up to that point you know all that legwork and on all those answers that you've had along the way and, and the relationship that you've been able to build along the way that allows you to to close the deal when when the time is right college is obviously such a huge uh, i mean recruiting is uh such a big deal uh, obviously look at you know uh, you know the big the big schools that win every year they've got really big great recruits most of the time um so so it's such a huge deal in, in college athletics and college football uh, specifically uh is there is there room on staffs for guys that just aren't good recruiters but they're just phenomenal um position coaches or coordinators or is every coach on a college um on a college you know staff a good recruiter at least a good recruiter yeah you know these these days I, I think I don't really think there's room for somebody that can't pull their weight recruiting uh, and if you do have somebody who's just a phenomenal coach uh, teacher and X's and O's guy schemer um, then you better have you know two recruiters on your staff that that can pull double duty uh, that are elite recruiters to make up for that one coach that that just isn't very good at it or doesn't care to be good at it you know I, I mentioned earlier you know great recruiters they have a passion for for doing it 
they have a passion for recruiting and and that means that they are in constant communication they're constantly texting the player they're constantly creating relationships developing relationships with the family and the the coaches and and those decision makers that i that i mentioned uh uh but i mean it's so competitive these days that um you know i just it's really really hard to get a, to get by if you've got somebody on your staff that's basically dead weight recruiting wise uh, you you better have some you better have a couple of elite recruiters that that can pick up the slack Nate, I suppose, you know, I want to go, you know, kind of get to the to the head coach now and you talk about, you know, obviously if you have a, a head coach who who can't recruit and especially who can't really, you know, seal the deal or, or be a closer, you know, that, that's got to be, to me, an instant deal breaker because, I, you know, literally across the country, there's going to be a handful of programs, there's going to be a handful of, of head coaches who people look at, you know, the, the Orgerons, the Sabins, the, the Dabo Sweeney's, when those guys walk into a home, they're sealing the deal and and that's you know probably reason number one why those guys are winning year in and year out yeah i mean those guys <clears throat> they're invested uh, not only not only do they have a presence about them and and they can seal the deal but but they're invested in the whole process too uh, every great head coach um that's that can recruit uh, you know they they are with it every step along the way they're not they don't just come in at the 11th hour and, and you know shake hands and kiss babies and and close the deal they they they're invested in it all and and uh uh you know I, i've seen head coaches that don't like recruiting and so they just turn it over to their staff to their assistants and let them handle it until they until they need to come in um, and usually that's, that's not the recipe for success. You, you have to be invested in it as a head coach. Um, and, and if you're not, I, I think you're setting yourself up for, for failure, uh, especially when you're wanting to recruit against the Dabo Sweeney's and the Nick Saban's. And, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, I could go on and on all, all the great, you know, head coaches that recruit at a high level. All those guys are not only do they, can they close the deal, but they're invested and, and they, they recruit um, and they're talking to guys and they're, they're messaging guys all, all the time. I mean, they, they're, they're working at it just as hard as their assistants are. Nate, talk a little bit about, you know, like the, the, the importance you said a little bit about the, the 500 mile radius, um, you know, and, and that's kind of been, you know, one of the, the buzzwords, especially, you know, in Nebraska and, and probably a lot of places that, you know, don't have the, you know, tremendous amount of, of talent in, in Nebraska every year in and year out. But talk about the importance of being able to get, you know, those kids first starting there and, and getting those kids on campus as many times as you can. And, you know, maybe kind of from your your history, you know, the, the, I would have to imagine the correlation between the number of times a kid was on campus and then ultimately landing that that commitment from a kid has to be extremely high correlation. Yeah, it's, it's huge. Um, you know, we, we used to say, at, at Nebraska, as long as we got a kid on campus one time, uh, we, we we're going to have a shot. And if we got him on campus two times, then then we're going to be, you know, in their in their top tier of schools. And if we got him on campus uh, three times or more, then we expected to be able to land that kid. And uh, uh, you know, and it's certainly with the kids in, within your region or within your 500 mile radius. Those are the guys that you've got to get on campus three plus times, um, you know, and, and, and have them feel comfortable. Uh, you know, 
on your campus, have them feel comfortable with your coaching staff and, um, and not just coaching staff, but, you know, the academic staff and the, you know, the weight staff, strength, conditioning, nutrition, whatever. Uh, but also I think it's, it was always important for us to get guys on campus together, uh, especially from within the same region that had a lot of, in, a lot of things in common. Uh, and the more you're able to do that, you know, th those guys, not only do they start to create a bond with one another because um, they have things in common, but then they start talking about, okay, well, hey, you know what? If we both came here, um, you know, we could, we could do some damage. Or, or hey, if, if all four or five of us or whatever, you know, it, it's kind of a snowball effect. And, uh, and I think that the more you're able to get guys on campus, the more you're able to get guys from the same area on campus at the same time, you, you increase the probability of, of eventually landing those players. I, I mean, it's, and then a lot of times it's, you exponentially increase your chances of getting those guys. Nate, you also talk about too, you know, with, with the calendar, you know, and having those opportunities for guys to, to come on, you know, what, what, what are, what are some of the strategies, you know, not only for official visits with kids, but what are some of the other things that, you know, schools are doing now, you know, with, with junior days. And I know there's probably different tiers of junior days. You know, one was more like an informational visit to campus, but then also now having kind of your select, you know, junior days, and then even kind of bleeding into the summer with, you know, the, the different, you know, things they're doing for camps now with, you know, everybody's doing the Friday night lights. I, I think, I don't know if Urban Meyer was the first one to do that. He was the first one I heard, you know, at, at Florida, but doing the Friday night yep. lights camps. And then not only that, you know, talking to some of the, the kids that might be listening to this out there too, the importance of doing some of those camps like a rivals camp or an Under Armour camp to, to go against really good competition, because that's a huge piece of the evaluation, especially if you're coming from a school that maybe doesn't play, you know, the highest level of football. Yeah, it's, you know, that's, it's huge. Um, you know, start with, with what colleges are doing, you know, it's, they are, they're having multiple events in the winter, um, you know, with the junior days. And, and usually what, what you, what you see is they'll have like an elite junior day where, where they try to get a lot of their top targets on campus uh, in more of a intimate setting, you know, more of kind of a, a personal one-on-one -on -one type of deal where, um, where they're not getting lost in the, in the mix where it's not just a complete cattle call, you know, where there's 50, 60 different kids on campus, um, you know, but, and then, but you do have those events too. And, and they serve a purpose. You know, a lot of times you, you do have a, a large junior day type of event where you're inviting, you know, 50, 60 kids and, and hoping that they all come to campus. That way you can get an eyeball on somebody. You can get measurements. Um, you can kind of at least, at least kind of get a feel for, okay, this is somebody we, we need to continue to follow up on or, or, you know, you know, maybe this guy's not, not what we thought he was or whatever. Um, you know, those, those types of deals serve a purpose as well. But, um, and then it, you know, it goes on into spring ball where you bring in guys in for practice. Uh, but the, the camps, you know, from a, from a recruits perspective, um, you know, I, I, I think it is, you know, it's not essential, but I think it's beneficial to at least go to like a rivals camp or an Under Armour camp or Nike camp, um, you know, and, and get tested out. Uh, that way you, you kind of are familiar with what's going to happen at the prospect camps when you go to a camp on campus, uh, because they're going to test you out. They're going to have you run the 40. They're going to, you know, you're going to run the shuttle. You're, you're going to, you know, do, do vertical or whatever, long jump or a broad jump. Uh, you're going to do all those tests on uh, the college campus. So you might as well 
start to get used to how that's going to work um, and also kind of gauge, you know, where you're at. You know, a lot of, you know, especially if you come from a smaller town or a smaller area, uh, you can go to one of those camps and say, okay, well, man, I, I've got a lot of work to do um, in this area or that area. Or, hey, you know what, uh, you know, I, I'm sitting pretty good here, but I need to keep it going or, or whatever the case may be. Um, and then once it comes to college camps, you know, my advice has always been to, uh, you know, try to try to pick three to five camps. You know, I, I see some of these camp warriors where they're going to 10 to 12 or more different camps. And and by the end, you know, it, it's not even worth it because you're so beat up and tired and worn down that, that you're not performing at a high level. So, I mean, you know, my advice has always been pick five camps that, that you want to go to um, and have, you know, a couple of them be, you know, your big time power five camps, um, have a couple mid tier schools and then maybe a couple lower tier schools or, or have a couple, you know, those of the satellite camps where, where you're going to be seen by, you know, 30, 40, 50 other colleges. So um, that way you're giving yourself exposure to all levels. And so, um, and, and at the same time, you're not wearing yourself out going to 10, 15 different camps and, and your high school coach isn't getting mad at you for, <laughs> for traveling all over and missing summer workouts and whatever, you know. So uh, that's, that's always been my advice, um, you know. And, and you can – I mean, every, every kid's different. Every situation's different. You can kind of tailor it to, to your own deal. But um, I, I do think it's essential to, to get to – a uh, handful of camps and, and have them be at different levels. So you're getting, you're maximizing your exposure. I think the other big thing that I'm curious about anyways for kids is, is some of the, the seven on seven. Um, I don't know if they're tournaments or leagues or, or how big it is now, now down here in the South, it's, it's, it's very big um, because there's so many, I mean, it's almost like politics. The, the, it, the exact opposites that you're getting from people, you know, uh, from the seven on seven coaches that obviously want to have a great team. Uh, they're telling these kids, Hey, we can, we can help you get recruited, uh, on these seven on seven, uh, leagues or, or, uh, teams. And then you've got the high school coaches, which, you know, don't necessarily want their kids to go to some random coach, uh, telling the kids, Hey, you're never going to get, um, recruited. All you can do is get injured or hurt. And then, you know, you hear certain, you know, you hear some college coaches that say, hey, we're, we're not going to offer scholarships, you know, over seven on seven. But then it also makes me think, you know, obviously they want to pander to uh, high school coaches as well. Uh, and if some guy looks like a freak out of the seven on seven camp, uh, it'd be hard not to offer that guy or at least say, oh, I want to look into this kid. So where do, you know, maybe just in general from what you've seen, where do, where do coaches college coaches land in that spectrum on on some of those seven on seven teams and, and camps that they have yeah you know I think for the most part <clears throat> I've not really heard of you know many coaches that say or that would tell anybody hey don't do seven on seven like it's totally not not beneficial in any way whatsoever uh, I've never really heard a coach say that I, I think I think there can be and that there is some benefit to doing it um, but at the same time, I will say that at least I've never worked on a staff where we offered strictly off of seven on seven film. Um, now some performances or some things we've heard through the grapevine or, or some film that we have seen, uh, on some seven on seven stuff, uh, has eventually led to an offer. 
or put somebody on the radar for us. Uh, but nine times out of 10, that that's not, you know, your, your film or whatever from a seven on seven only deal is, is not what's going to lead, uh, or, or a result in a direct offer. Uh, but it is, it can be part of the process. Uh, you know, I, I think it, it's, you know, like I said, I think it can be beneficial, but it's not necessarily essential that, that kids do that. And, and I do, I mean, it's big business now. I mean, these seven on seven teams, they're these select teams. Oh, yeah. uh, they're, it's very, very competitive and there's some politics involved that, you know, it can be, it, it's, it's kind of has turned into that the AAU circuit, you know, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at basketball in some respects and, um, you know, and, and I know a lot of high school basketball coaches that, that despise AAU basketball. Um, and I know there's a lot of high school coaches that just hate these, these, uh, seven on seven teams and, and, and the type of commitment that they, a lot of, a lot of these teams require these days. Uh, you know, and, and I, I think, like I said, I, I think it's, it can be beneficial, but it's not essential that, uh, that players do that. Nate, what might be some of the, uh, the most difficult positions for you to, to evaluate and, and find guys, or do you find that, you know, it, it, it's all kind of just a, a, a hit and hit and miss art, you know, in and all in, all in and of itself. I mean, what might be some of the t- most difficult positions for people to maybe uh, project? Yeah, I think, I mean, in my opinion, it's no doubt offensive line and then, you know, sometimes defensive line. Uh, that's, to me, that, that's the hardest. You know, skill guys pop, whether, whether you're watching eight-man ball or you're watching, uh, you know, the, the highest level in Texas. I mean, uh, you know, skill guys pop, but linemen can be difficult um, a lot of times you're projecting you know what's this guy going to look at look like two or three years down the road uh what type of competition is he facing um you know is he tapped out is his body already tapped out or uh you know can he can he become a little bit more flexible or, or how well has he been coached you know I, I mean sometimes you run across a kid that that uh you know when it comes to pass protection he couldn't couldn't play dead in a western but maybe he's never been coached, uh, you know, or, or, or hasn't received the right type of instruction, you know, maybe. Uh, so, I mean, for me, it's, it's linemen, no doubt about it. I, I think that's, uh, you know, the, that's the other thing. Great recruiters or great evaluators, uh, they're guys that, that, can, that can recruit uh, or evaluate every position well, especially in the trenches. So I, I think when I was in college, you always heard, you know, because I had four four new offensive line coaches. And so uh, every time we got a new off- offensive line coach in and the, be the new starters that year, I'd always hear somebody that didn't get to start saying, oh, that's because the coach wants, wants his guys because it's who he recruited. Um, and, and I kind of always just shoved that off as, as guys that didn't work hard enough and, and didn't play hard enough. And um, so they didn't get their chance. And if they'd be good enough, they'd play. Uh, but as I get older, I start, you know, open mind to it. Is there any pressure to um, to play the guys that you stick your neck out for as a coach in the recruiting process? And now they're in in your, uh, you know, you're being judged as a recruiter. So is there any pressure to try to make sure that guy is a player because he's one that you went out and recruited? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think there's something to that. Um, but also, like you said, I think it can be used as a crutch or as an excuse 
too by some some players. Um, and and I've had that conversation, you know, with with guys before, uh, especially you know when I was at Nebraska. When you go through three different coaching changes, like I did when I was there, um, that that came up a lot. And you know, there'd be guys that would come into the recruiting office frustrated. They'd sit down and, and they'd be frustrated because they felt like they weren't getting a fair shake. And you know, one thing I always told them is, you know, is force their hand. Don't don't let them kind of put you into that corner and and label you as someone else's guy. You know, make them make them believe that you're you're the guy. Um, you know, and and you know whatever it may be. Um, you know, whatever reason why you're you're sitting where you're at right now. You know, take a look at it. Take a look at the big picture and. What can you do to change that? Or go talk to the coach and say, hey, coach, you know, uh, I'm sitting at this spot on the depth chart right now. And, and uh, you know, I, I was higher before or whatever. Uh, what do I need to do to, uh, to elevate? And, and what do I need to do to, to, uh, to raise my profile or to get more reps in practice or to be working with, with the, you know, the top units instead of the, the backup units or whatever, you know? I, I think that um you you have to search for answers no one you know especially the older you get uh people aren't gonna people aren't gonna come and tell you everything you you gotta go you gotta go figure it out sometimes and, and be proactive with a lot of that stuff and uh but from the coaching side of it yeah the, i think there is some pressure you know especially when you're when you're a new staff and you're trying to turn things around um i, I think that there is some pressure to, to maybe uh, play your guys or, or to make yourself look good. Like, Hey, look, uh, these guys that I brought in, they're, they're already, you know, working with the top units or whatever. Uh, and so, I mean, there can be something to that, but like I said, I, I would always tell the players, you know, force the coach's hand, you know, because if you're, if you're forcing the issue and, and you're, you're looking better uh, every day and you're doing all the right things, you're showing up to, you, you know, you're the first one into the meeting room and you're the last one off the practice field or, or whatever. Um, you know, that's, that's going to be, that's going to be something that may force the coach's hand. Nate, when you were evaluating, uh, Lyman, I'm, I'm curious, you know, cause you're, you're still doing a lot of that now, you know, for, for rivals and, and having to evaluate kids and, and making a, an opinion and an estimation as to, you know, what you think a, a kid could be. And it's probably based on a lot of different things, you know, what are some of the kind of the trademarks that you're, you're looking for those boxes to be able to, to check with, with linemen as you watch those films. And I'm guessing, you know, shoot, you've probably watched, you know, tens of thousands of films on, on linemen. You probably got a pretty good checklist you're using to, to find those guys. Yeah. I mean, uh, the base building blocks for me is, is uh, just athletes, you know, guys mm -hmm. that, guys that, that move well, guys that bend well, uh, players that aren't on the ground uh, an awful lot, you know, unless, mm -hmm. Unless they're unless they're on the ground because they put someone on their back. On top but even of then, head. yeah. But even then, um, you know, one thing that I always, you know, one thing I took away from Bill Callahan was um, he always watched how big guys got up off the ground. Uh, the athletes, the big athletes, they get up effortlessly, um, and and then your your big fat unathletic guys. I mean, it's a struggle for those guys to get up. They don't just pop up off the ground. Um, and so I, I want to see guys that can bend, guys that move, guys that have good balance, that run, um, and that aren't on the ground that often. Uh, that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of the base, the base 
you know, building blocks of, of what, what you look for. And then of course, you know, you're, you're looking for size and length and, and that type of deal too. But, uh, but if you don't have that initial athleticism, it, it's going to be tough. Uh, you know, it's going to be tough for you to, to, to be recruited by, by the big dogs. It's funny you say that too. I mean, I you know, assist an offensive line at, at Tulsa, and so you get to watch a ton of film. And and that was the first thing that that Denver had told me was, Walls, you got to watch the guy run. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm kind of sitting there, and I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, it's it's offensive line, you know. But he, it it was so true because you know you'd be able to watch a guy run, you'd see how fluid he was, or what kind of an athlete he was. And there, I mean, I'm not kidding. You. There'd be a couple times he'd see the guy run or pull, and he'd just turn it off, like, nope, we can't do it. And yep. then, you know, now, like you said, okay, now you look at the dimensions. Okay, man, he's six six, and he can run, you know, and he's got some athleticism. And then maybe you find out, hey, he, he plays some other sports. Man, hey, he's a basketball player. Cool, he, he might be able to play tackle. You know, hey, he's a wrestler. Okay, he's probably, you know, probably going to be an interior guy and things like that. But I just think, you know, you said it, that, that initial athleticism, the ability to control your body, balance, you know, not looking clumsy when you fall and, and all those different things, to me, at least was the, the starting point and then you could kind of like you said go on that deep dive and let's figure out you know how bad does he love football you know mm-hmm. what's what's his family life uh, and things like that I would imagine that's probably some of the same things you get to see today you know even you know guy will guys return calls will guys return texts and things like that and I get that the recruiting process can be you know crazy and funky but at the same time it probably also says a lot about that kid's character too yeah no doubt about it uh, you know, I, I, I can have one conversation with a with a player, and nine times out of ten, I, I feel like I got a pretty good read on what type of kid he is, uh, just by the way he treats somebody like myself, who who is <laughs> probably bugging him a little bit. He he may not want to talk with me, or may not want to do an interview, or you know, or or give me give me the rundown on on what schools he's going to visit or whatever. But if he gives me the time of day and is respectful. Um, then, then I, I think, okay, this kid's going to have a chance uh, because, because if he's treating me that way, then I know he's going to be treating uh, the coaches and everybody else, uh, his teachers or whatever, uh, with at least that much respect and, and probably even more. So, uh, yeah, that, that, is, that is definitely a big deal. Uh, it, going back to the offensive line, you know, that was another thing we always asked is, okay, um, what other sports does this guy play? I, I I've always been a big believer that, uh, that uh, you know, the more sports you play, the better, uh, whether it's wrestling, which I love linemen that wrestle, also love linemen that play basketball. I mean, th- those, those are two things that always got my attention right away when a, when a kid was a multi-sport guy and that uh, especially when he played you know, when he's a wrestler or, or a basketball player. I'm kind of I'm kind of curious along that same line um, with with guys that come into college and they switch positions um, and end up being really good at their new whatever position they switch to you know like um, a guy that I always think of is like a Lane Johnson who you know was quarterback I think started as quarterback and then was was a tight end and then Oklahoma saw him as a as a big offensive tackle and now he's making uh, obviously a lot of money doing that um, in the NFL with guys like that, uh, is that something that the college coach sees? Oh, he's not real athletic as a tight end, but he's got all this frame that he could grow into. 
man, let's go look at him maybe and, and talk to him about being an offensive lineman? Or is that something that uh, the kid kind of comes up with or the kid or the coach talks about, the high school coach talks to this guy about? Or, or you know, I know that there's a lot of athletic or not real athletic defense linemen that then come over to offense or, uh, you know, and I'm sure the same thing at skill positions. But is that something that, that these co- good recruiters can project out and find? Or is that something that's kind of uh, whispered or told to them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that good recruiters always take in mind, you know, that growth potential is a major part of the evaluation process. And, um, you know, I I, I always go back again, Bill Callahan, he said, I I will take as many 6'4 to 6'6 tight end defensive end targets or or prospects, high school players as I can get, uh, because those are the guys that grow into great, you know, offensive linemen or, or great, uh, you know, they, they, they've got great growth potential and, and are going to be big, giant athletes. Um, you know, so those are the types of guys, I think, that, uh, that especially when you have a great strength and conditioning program, when you have a great nutrition program, um, is so important to evaluate a kid's growth potential. Um, you know, and then once you get them on campus, uh, you know, it usually becomes pretty clear, you know, if, if they've got that type of frame and all of a sudden they start packing on that type of weight, uh, you know, the, the writing is now on the wall like, hey, look, um, you know, the position change may be in your best interest. Uh, and while you may not be all about it right now, you know, long term, this is going to be something that not only provides you with an opportunity to, to see the field and, and, and play more now, but it may be something that that uh, uh, could be, you know, could be something that, that provides you one heck of a living uh, beyond college, too. That was one of the things that was amazing to me, you know, and, and hearing some of the, the newer stories about guys going on campus. There's, like, actually technology now where guys will go in and they, they get, like, a projection as to how heavy they think they can get them. Like, I, I know yep. Nebraska is one of those schools. That, to me, that, that's just, just, like, nuts, you know, because it used to be, like, oh, he's got a good frame. I think he can maybe get to here. Now it's like they have ways of getting that done with technology. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I know, like you said, Nebraska does that now. Uh, Dave Ellis, I mean, he's got – I think he's got a patent for his program. I mean, he gets, he gets certain measurements. Um, and then, you know, he does, like, a body comp and, and – and, uh, even type of like a body scan, I think they can even like look at your, at your actual, uh, you know, bone structure and, and they plug those numbers in and it will tell you, okay. Um, the, he's this age right now. Uh, and, and this is his weight. This is his, his, uh, you know, body, body comp, um, uh, you know, within one year of being in, in college, he's going to weigh this. And this is, you know, with what his, uh, this is what his growth potential is going to be, you know, two or three years from now. And these are how, and then those numbers, um, that's how that, this is, you know, matches up to uh, the NFL draft information, you know. So if he's an outside linebacker, um, you know, the, that program will project where that kid's going to be at, uh, you know, one, two, four years down the road. And then, and then what that, what that, you know, end body weight or body you know, comp is, is how that compares to the NFL draft numbers for that certain position. Uh, you know, it's, it's really in-depth stuff. And, and that, 
it definitely plays a large part in the in the evaluation process too because you know there's and I know measurements I mean sometimes you can uh, you can dive too deep into that you know sometimes you can play ball or, or you can't uh, you know, it's, so measurements aren't the end-all be-all but sometimes you know when you are projecting you know and you've got somebody that you really like uh, or you got two guys that you really like, but one guy is kind of a short-armed, you know, narrow-shouldered guy that doesn't have a whole lot of growth potential. But the other guy, you know, maybe he's not quite the the polished product yet. But he's man, he's got he's got long arms. He's got a frame that is going to really allow for him to develop and blossom later. Uh, you know, chances are coaches are going to go for that, that, that potential down the road than, than that, uh, you know, more of a polished product right now. I remember, you know, reading something about like, you know, Saban or, and, a, and a few of those different guys, you know, kind of, you know, along the same lines, you know, we, they have their, their NFL style measurements or they have, you know, their all American measurements, say for a corner, you know, he's, he's six, one plus his hands are this big or his arms are this big. And then they, but they always had like, like you said, the, the tape or the X factor. So like, Hey, this guy's only, you know, only 5'11", but his ball <laughs> skills are off the chart, you know, you know, or, or this guy, this guy's 5'11", but he runs, you know, 4'3 flat, you know, or it's a, like I, they, they told a story too about like Amari Cooper, you know, hey, coach, he's not a, a big five-star receiver and, and Saban said something along the lines like, hey, man, I don't, I don't care if he's five stars, I'll, I'll, I make him into five stars, you know, knowing that he had, you know, tremendous route running ability or, or you know, ball skills as well, whatever it might be, but you know, there's, there's always something you can find from, from some guy that can trump, you know, the, the actual measurements. That's why, to, to me, you know, the recruiting and, and the evaluation and, and all these things are just so fascinating because it is such an inexact science. Yeah, and, and I think, I think uh, that's why it's so important to do a deep dive into, you know, what the, what's between the kids' ears, you know, the mental aspect that, and, and all the types of intangibles that that kid has, you know. Um, sometimes your, your frame and your, um, you know, your testing numbers uh, don't tell the whole story. Sometimes, um, you know, I, I think that if, when your intangibles are off the charts, um, you know, that, that can kind of, that can kind of make up for, for maybe a, a lack of a, a lack of a 40 time or, or maybe lack of, you know, maybe you're a five ten corner instead of a six foot corner or whatever, you know, I think that. The, the, those intangibles, I, I think, do go a whole long way, uh, especially, uh, you know, when, when coaches are looking at, you know, establishing a culture or trying to flip a culture, too. Nate, the, the last question I want to ask you, man, and we'll let you get going. I know you got uh, all kinds of stuff going on, but, uh, you know, what are some of the, the myths, you know, that you kind of want to dispel, or maybe it's a biggest myth of, of kind of the recruiting process that you're like, man, I, I wish people would you know, kind of let that be or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, just kind of the biggest misnomer or myth that you, that you see out there in kind of the, the whole recruiting game of college football. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, now I think, I think one of the biggest myths out there or, or you know, I, I guess misnomers is that, that you have to, that you have to pay, you know, companies to get your name out there. You know, I think they're, um, there's certain, there's certain, you know, companies or I don't even know what you'd call them, but I mean, there's, there's places out there that will say, Hey, look, you know, if you give us a thousand dollars, we're going to get your, 
we're going to get all your name and your, your information and your resume and your film and, and blah, blah, blah out in front of all these coaches and, and, and you will get maximum exposure. Uh, you know, I, I, kids don't do not need to do that. Um, and I, I tell, I tell parents all the time, uh, you don't do not feel like you have to, uh, you know, pay a, some company to do this for you, you know, with, with the way that everything is now with it all being online with huddle. Um, there's, there's no reason why you should have to pay somebody to, to help give you exposure. Uh, you know, I, I think that's, to me, I run into that a, a lot. You know, I, I talk to parents to say, yeah, you know, um, we just, we just had a consultation with such and such company and, and we bought this, this such and such package from them and they're going to help us put together a plan and, and, you know, get us, get us exposure and everything. And, um, you know, nine times out of 10, that that company is preying on some kid that has dreams of playing at a level that he's just never going to be playing at. And so, uh, but I, my, probably my biggest advice would be that you do not have to pay anybody uh, to get attention. Now, uh, you know, it is wise to go out and get advice on what to do or, or to, you know, to lean on your, your high school coach or, or, you know, other people out there, then there are people out there that will help you. Uh, but to, to feel like you have to pay somebody to get exposure, that's just not the case. Nate, man, appreciate you coming on and, and spending some time with a, a couple of slappies like us and, and <laughs> you know, teach us about the, the world of, uh, of recruiting, man. And uh, I, I think you do a, a lot of great things. And, and like I said, you know, you know, you being in the, in the game and the business, I know you'll, you'll also shoot coaches straight and you'll shoot kids straight too. So I appreciate you, uh, you sh you're sharing some of your knowledge with us tonight, man. You bet, guys. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely have to, have to do it again sometime. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at runthepower. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.